Thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate very much to finally be back in London and give a speech here, give a talk. Um, well, normally in, in, in German, I try to avoid reading stuff from paper, and it is, for me, kind of unpleasant. I feel much more home in spoken language as we had this morning. So um, I apologize for, for um, having to read, because in English, well, this sounds like that. Uh, in, in English, it's, no, it's, it's fine. It's nothing. It's just water. <laughs> and there's no device except that one. Um, anyhow, there's such a lot of, thank you, such a lot of nodes that now assemble in my text that I have to speak freely from time to time. And I'm going to, I'm going to start with the same issue of the media determinism that I also think one should make strong in a certain way again. Um, or that one should uphold. In the statement, media determine our situation, the term situation, or Lage in German, refers, as Matthew was talking about, to a morning military briefing meant to give an overview of the battlefield. This situation takes place at a considerable distance from the action, or to phrase it in Hegelian or Badiun terms, in a distance to the event. To determine a situation of this kind means to define the means of observation or to set the overall strategic outlook with a contingent relation to what actually happens on the ground. Contingent meaning that events unfold in a way not impossible nor necessary. Hitler has often been accused of techno-determinism, but one can only do so by misunderstanding this term situation. Let's stay for a moment with the term. In which situation do we find ourselves according to this perspective? Do media still define our situation? And if so, what does it look like? The dynamics of media in the traditional sense has come to an end. Roughly from 1800 to 2000, technical devices of communication conquered the full human range of perception, of sensual perception, through analog, discrete, and digital means of coding, transmitting, and storing information. In the course of this progress, most of what McLuhan and also Kittler used to call technical media came into being. With the convergence in digital media, the diversity of media in a fundamental technical sense is gone. What is left is a singular, ubiquitous digital medium and its concomitant gadgets or interfaces. As a result, other media ecologies start to spread. So even if media still define our situation, looking at media in the traditional sense won't help us any longer to understand what's going on. The agencies of di and dynamics of our present situation arise from other factors. We entered into a second sta stage where even media theory has to realize that sticking to media does not explain the situation very well. This has led to a slightly paradoxical situation. A method of investigation, media theory, is asking for a methodological, methodological change. With German media theory, I had two striking experiences. First, I was caught by surprise when all of my, most of my colleagues, let's say it like that, most of my colleagues turned into historians when striving to get their career started. There's one dropout, I would call it, apart from me, there's one dropout, 
um, who successfully founded a company doing user web-related user analysis. The company is called Matrix. It's based in central Berlin and close to Alexander Blastermeis, Philipp von Helios, who worked on games of um, war games, kind of 18th century, and then uh, turned actually into in, into, pra into practical programming. But he never ma he never managed to merge the two activities. Strange enough, because that could have done. Now I, I'm, I met him lately, and he's actually he doesn't have time for anything else. He's completely caught with this company. Um, it would be nice if there would be an, so to say, overlap. Um, I just happened to be at the annual German conference of media theory. Uh, normally, one would think that media theory would come with the ambition to say something about that very situation defined by media. Unfortunately, this, this is not the case. The German branch of the discipline, including most of the disciples of Hitler, follow the genealogical approach. To me, this historizing turn, historicizing turn looks like a symptom of academic closure. Or, to put it precisely and along the lines Kittler sketched out in his lecture, Philosophies of Literature, that was published, that he held three times, I think, in 94, 96, 98, and 2002 in Berlin again, um, and where he, where he was speaking or talking about the, the, so to say, the foundation of university um, as it, and, the, and, its, and the, so to say, the philological humanities, disciplines of humanities. Um, the, the academic closure is a late effect of the foundation of humanities and university reforms around 1800, and thus an effect of state policy. Its main and intended effect was to keep scholars away from politics, to transform academic disciplines into something preoccupied with the past, and to keep them from taking political measures and from claiming political influence, and this still works. I also see it in, in place in the same, in, in a, how to say, having, having been active in very different disciplines and studied discipline, di different disciplines like physics, for example, you see that there's a certain, in the humanities, there's a certain adherence to an, what I would call authority-based style of arguing, authority-based style of writing texts. If you compare the mode of citations that you have in humanities to the mode of citation that you have in mathematics or in, uh, of computer sciences and whatnot, uh, it all comes with a strong reference to that eigennamer. We always refer to the author, to the big author. Hmm? Um, and, for example, there was one, one effect that Willem Clark uh, lately has shown very nicely in his book about academic charisma, that, so to say, the, the birth of the philosopher, the birth, of, the birth of the humanities scholar as author occurred around 1800. And I'm afraid that most of media theory still, coming from that coming from the field of philology, at least in, German, in the German sciences, sticks to that mode of operation. And this is one of the main, um, main obstacles to actually getting or turning the media studies into a, into a discipline where, where things are getting done, where, where you bridge the gap towards the practice. Mm -hmm. The second alienation came when I started to realize that neither Kittler now the rest of us had to say anything that made sense about the rise of the internet. And internet. Um, at the time, we were still hooked on a very different trajectory, inspired by the comparison of the computer and the human. From this genuinely McLuhanian perspective, the most relevant progress was not Google, but technologies of simulation. 
Not Facebook or the like, but virtual reality. This was, this was in fact, the, the, the I mean, we, we've, we've been discussing it, or it was mentioned at various times today that, that there is a sort of a mismatch of media theory and, and, the, and the web. I think it, has all, it also relates to the fact that, the, so to say, that in the, in the, in the sense, the, after the conversion of, or convergence of all the analog media and digital media, uh, the driving force of the developments in not outside, not in media studies, but outside in the so to say in the, in the whatever media social field, however you want to call it, um, cannot be described along those lines anymore. And one either has to turn to another mode of description or to figure out what happens in the internet, or you never arrive there simply. And to me, German media theory chose the solution of never to arrive at the internet, even now. Mm. And then there was another alienation that I actually forgot and came to my mind just now whilst, whilst listening, to the, to the, whilst hearing, listening to the other speakers. Um, in 2001, I think, together with Wolfgang Ernst, I organized a conference on uh, image retrieval. And I had a very strange, also very strange alienating experience with Kittler. Um, I, in, we invited a bunch of programmers that were at that time active in a content-based image retrieval, of what, which, which was my field of research and of which I thought that it was, would lead to something. Actually, it leads to something. It also now leads to something. Some of the people uh, involved there are now working for the face recognition, Facebook, things like, and, and, and the likes. But it never turned out to, to what I was, was, was hoping for. But nevertheless, I invited some programmers and, and invited Kittler. And it was quite strange that, uh, that there was a, despite all the claim of the media theory that we should get, go into programming, there was an unbridgeable gap between the media theory and the programmers. I, I noticed, and there was an Austrian guy with a Hungarian name, Laszlo Bostemeni, or something like that. And he mentioned at some point the word re representation. And that was the sign for Kittler to switch off the com communication. He would, not, he would not talk to the guy anymore. Because he just, he said, he mentioned, he said the word, we used the word representation, which was an absolute no-go. <laughs> and, the, okay, so, but, and these, were, these are the factors that, so, so to say, that proved to be an, an obstacle towards approaching the computer studies. Whereas Kittler all, always was, was writing his, his programs, but he was never included in the discourse. And it's very, it, it makes a big difference to be included in the, in the discourse of computer studies or to just, so to say, have a hobbyist approach to, wrote, to write some assembler code, which he did on a very high level, no doubt. Huh? Um, nevertheless, is it the, sensation, the sensation that technical media in McLuhan's sense has somehow come to an end has led to a variety of escape routes, like going back to Heidegger and philosophy, or to sequester itself within history and apply methods of the history of science, or to adopt certain terms of, terms of Bruno Latour under the umbrella Kulturtechniken, which is the Weimar, Weimar wing, which is also, to me, the term never, never sounded, so to say, never held what it, what it was supposed to, what it's supposed to bring, but that's another, uh, it's another discussion. Or uh, go back to, um, to material fundamentals, unscrew computers and call it media archaeology, with all respect to the work of Jussi Parika. Um, as the situation in Germany is concerned, this comes to close to a state of denial. 
a denial to the fact that media define our situation, and that taken with a certain respons responsibility towards the rest of society and not to academic careers only, media theory ought to be a highly political discipline with a strong focus on what determines our present situation, namely the media. Why not? And that's something I, that I never really, never really understood. Um, the, pro the approach of Kittler, let's get back to what comes from Kittler and what could be taken, how, how one could maybe do it, get it done. The approach of Kittler comes with four crucial ideas to me. Now, it comes with many more ideas, but these are the four ideas that I think uh, one, should, one should consider. Um, the materiality of media, the technical a priori, the genealogy as a method, method and a certain special regard for primal scenes. We've, been, we've talked about that this morning. Um, the attempt to turn German media theory, or that branch of media theory, whether it's German or not, I actually don't care. Um, it's just a label that has been put to it, and I think it's not a very, it's not a very good label. One should try to avoid that. Um, of technical media theory, let's call it, from a retrospective to a prospective theory, may mainly build on two of these four terms. Kittler's books are full of anecdotes of primal scenes. There's even a whole book, as was mentioned, uh, with that title. It builds on the assumption that a medium's essential qualities are getting unveiled at the moment of its first experience, uh, first appearance, not experience, sorry. Uh, most of the later and especially civilian modes of utilization are dismissed as missbrauch, abuse, misuse, misapprehension, as you named it. I always had my doubts about this figure of thought, the primal scenes, not the misuse. To me, the fixation on primal scenes seems to confuse ontology with origins, as if there was any essence to be found in something's first appearance. This belief runs, par runs parallel to the willful sub submission to the historical dispositive, as in the gene genealogy. As Kittler himself has shown in his recently published lecture, Philosophie in the Literatur, the introduction of the historical dispositive runs, dispositive runs parallel with a strict separation of practical and theoretical disciplines. One either learns to write or one learns to read. One either learns to make music or, art or to listen and to look at it. This separation was instituted under the term aesthetics. That has, it's a fact that has largely been forgotten. Ultimately, both of these factors, genealogy and the fixation on primal scenes, led consequently to Kittler's late turn to the ancient Greeks. I think the, the, the idea that he was actually shrieking away from a, from a dystopian future is, is something nice that I never, I, I, the outlook to a dystopian future is something nice that I, if I understood you right, Matthew, there's something that I never considered, maybe, maybe it's right. One could also see it like that. Um, Slightly transforming these both terms would allow us to make them productive for the analysis of our situation. The primal scene could be linked to the technical a priori and could thus serve as a pointer back to the discursive gap through which technology appears. Misusing technology is a constituent factor throughout media evolution. And the misuse lies the creative drive as much as the political risk, risk also in the misapprehension. Mm. When it comes to genealogy, the problem lies not so much in the historical approaches per se, but in its academic separation from the present, 
which is completely artificial, given that all of history has always, of course, been something present. Therefore, it could serve to uncover the contingency of our present situation. I mean, that's, that's the, the idea is, oh, that was, was my problem with that, so to say, academic type of philo philological history in, in which the media research was performed in, the, in, in Germany to a certain degree, that it was never, would neither arrive at our situation, at the contemporary situation, nor would it make clear what consequences for our, for the, for the understanding of our situation that history would have. And um, I'm, I completely agree with the idea that the task of gene 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 genealogy is, so to say, in reading the past to transform what a medium is, but that should be, so to say, spoken out. Whilst uh, what happens is actually that uh, most of the historical readings or history, the, the, the genealogical readings stay in the past and never reach out to, the, to, to actually bridge the gap towards the present. Mm. For example, um, one example would be to trace the historic dispositive or the genealogical dispositive back itself, back to the formulation of the nation state around 1800. And from there arguing that with the decline of this nation state, it is not only necessary, but outright dangerous for the disciplines entangled in it. It proves dangerous. Uh, let's put it like that, that, so to say, within the history of universities, because it was also a topic this morning, Topic made this morning. In the histories of universities, we have universities always bound to some kind of, let's say, regimes, different regimes that they that they subjected to. And history, that is my assumption, which also goes back to a reading of reading of Foucault. Of course, history comes into place at the point when the when the states turn from a feudal from feudal states to states that has that have to citizen states that have to legitimize their existence and the legitimization of the existence is not cannot be a, a, a dynasty anymore but has to, has to be an insti institution of history itself and we witnessed that through a broad range of humanities disciplines like art history history philology and whatnot it's all about giving a giving shaping a national identity through time. Now that we talk of failing states, that we talk of the, of, uh, the replacement of the institutions of the state, of course the according university disciplines come, uh, are in danger. That just cannot come as a surprise. And we all witness, I mean, in, in, in Britain the situation is far more, uh, far more um, progressed, if, has, has progressed far more than in Germany. Uh, where we're still, so to say, are shielded from that development. We're not, we're not facing the, the facts that uh, humanities departments should uh, reformulate themselves as profit centers. Not yet. Uh, we might arrive there at some point. Uh, and this, it, it cannot come, this cannot come as a surprise if you go back to the history of, uh, so to say, of regime of, I would call them regimes of, hmm? And, and, uh, and institutional powers that set the conditions of existence for the disciplines. And this is argued very, very much along the Kittler's philosophies of literature. So I'm only that as an example. I'm totally for 
a certain general genealogical reading, but then you have, what you have to do is to take it to the present situation, to our situation. Now, onto Kittler's two terms, which I believe got lost, got, got a bit lost in the recent theoretical debate, and which I would su suggest to re-emphasize the technical a priori and the materiality. The thesis of a technical a priori in its very simple form states that there is always a technological at element at first. This element does not follow social needs, but rather it creates social needs. It's so to say the media theoretical version of supply side econo economics, with the difference being that neglecting the demand side is deadly in today's economy, but in media theory it might prove helpful. If taken to its extremes, this thesis of a media of the technical a priori claims that media come out of nowhere, somehow like works of art, that also art historians assume to be out of nowhere. There's no production of them involved, so to say. The point to make is that there are diverse dis discourses involved that do not share the same purposes. There's a technical discourse setting goals on its own. And there, is a social, there are social practices and modes of behavior that, end, that later enter the stage, reshape media and define a situation, and redefine the situation. Together with the technical a priori comes the assumption of a directedness of technology. Directedness, very much like the term of network theory, so to say, directed link. And directedness in this case means nothing else nothing else than the fact that there is a progress in technical development. We could, we, we could refer, of course, to Moore's law, but it, the speed of the progress is not the point. The point is that there is a progress. That our computer, on average, are not getting slower. That we don't have less data in, our, in, the, in the data storage. Also, the internet is not getting smaller. Let's say that we had the discussions lately in Nuremberg, I remember. Um, but I, think I, I, I still would uphold, would uphold the thesis. We can discuss it at, at some point. It's actually, it's actually funny that there's a discussion around that point, which is so, so obvious and so very clear. Ten years ago, computers were slow and whatnot. Um, let's, let's get back to the, to the directedness and, what, what, and the, so to say, the early stage of media where, where we had, the, so to say, the, uh, the a development of media, of media, from analog to discrete to uh, digital, that was step by step conquering the realm of human senses, so to say. That was the that was the media in the sense of McLuhan, hmm? where the, also the same the same story the same story happened um, with the with the improvement of computer speed. You could of course cover more and more and more, um, so to say, uh, sensual or. Perceptual contents. It's a very, it's a very simple story along those, along the lines you have from 1800 to 2000. A lot of uh, various different technologies that all step by step by step would decode and encode uh, human senses under different technologies, like photography, film, TV, da 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 da. da. That basically in the in the in so to say in that, in that follow a technological follow up. Or that technological follow-up builds the basis, the very basis on which media theory was formulated first. Hmm. Now, what we have with computers is something, and the network is something different. We sort of say we switch to a different, uh, to different, uh, to a different mode. Hmm. And the point, 
the, the point in this mode is actually that the, that the reference point is not so much the body anymore and the bodily functions, but rather something that we now that we would that we would frame as social functions. I'm, I'm going to come back to that later. Actually, I'm I'm talking about things that are in the paper that are coming going to come up in the in the paper. Um, what is what is the point with the uh, what is the point in the directedness and in the in the technical a priori is the the independence of of different uh, of different discourses of a diff of a discourse of media use and a discourse of technological invention, um, and there is a disc discursive gap that needs to be bridged, and where productive misunderstanding is the easiest way to do so, that is one of the way of the reasons why so many technical inventions were made not purposefully by scientists or researchers, by, but by bricoleurs in, a in an environment of serendipity. It's not that the, that the very scientists or engineers invented in new media, but it's that very often is it's that somebody who so to say, sits between the discourses was able to bridge, the, to bridge that distance. And misunderstanding plays a big, plays a big role in that. As much as it, is, it plays a big role in the further development of what a media and then in the end does. So the Edison, the example of Edison, um, just is a, is a telling example in, in that point. He was able to bridge a, a certain gap from the technolo technological to the, so to say, perceptual, perceptual discourse. But of course, he couldn't foresee what happens with this medium on a later stage. And it would also not, so to say, if media theory would be it could be one of the goals of media theory to, to bridge that gap, but actually I, I doubt that this would be possible because it would require to, so to say, to install a discourse that bridges or, emphasize, or in, encompasses the both, the both sides. Materialism, on the other hand, I know the, the directedness, and one, one point to go back, looking back at the history of the last millennium of European history, one can safely say that the strong technical a priori that was in place is, is a Eurocentric a priori was responsible for the expansion of European-centered technology and languages all over the world. Materialism, the other term that, so to say, I think um, can be, or would, would, will help to transfer the Kittlerian theory to a theory that is more, becomes more related to the present. Materialism refers to the assumption that there is always a physical layer present in any medium. And even if this physical layer usually goes unnoticed, it sets the basic features and factors of, media of the media defining our situation. In certain cases, this has led to an almost obsessive digging within the material layer. When I first came to Kittler's home, there was always an electrical board placed in some corner with a soldering bolt next to it. So we're not talking about a Marxist materialism that in comparison looks very Hegelian, idealistic. We're talking about uh, so to say, solid state materialism. But the material basis of media does not need to consist of solid objects. It could also be frequencies, electrical charges, atoms, or molecules in defined states. Whatever information or data there is, in the end, it sits on a material basis. The materialist approach resonates with a number of current philosophical, philosophical ideas. Just to name Rossi Braidotti with a more feminist interpretation, or you see Parika focusing more on media and media materialism. And there could also be a line drawn to the speculative realism insofar both as, as both are non-correlationist. Both share the assumption that things in the world do not rely on human perception. 
But seen from the perspective of media theory, most of speculative realism, just to mention it, looks like a very traditionalist philosophical approach, reiterating a lot of very old questions together with some old answers. Who cares if the world exists? Does it matter that we can perceive or what we can perceive? Kittler himself simply used to state, I'm against epistemology. And therefore, he may be called a non-correlationist. Nevertheless, he would not have considered the speculation about realities beyond humanity worthwhile because he was, would always be speaking about the so-called reality, that he was, he was like, as he was always referring to reality, so-called reality. I think the urgent questions of our time lie somewhere else. Given that we have a directed development of media, we face an ever-growing amount of data and information handled with growing speed. It's very obvious. It does not require even much of algorithmic intelligence to turn this information into action, and it has already been done, often. We enter a world in which intelligent objects know more about the rest of, our, of the world, us included, than we do ourselves. We find ourselves embedded in a data environment. As technology allows for an infrastructure to store and to calculate all these data, It was, very, it was very obvious from the very beginning that big institutions of power would try whatever possible to claim the raw material of data first. It's a question of power, political power. And there is a very simple materialist, very materialist calculation to be made. Saving one yottabyte of, byte of data means enough to capture a whole life on video for every single person on Earth. And that means basically that we're entering overkill capacity when it comes to data. So, so the question is how to. Do I still have some time or are we running out of time? Uh, you can finish off, yes. Okay. <laughs> no, just to get, a, to get a big picture because. Uh, the. If we still want to say that media determine our situation and we have to find a way to include the internet or to relate that claim to the internet, meaning a heterogeneous mix of transmission technologies, gadgets, and interfaces. A medium is called a medium because it sits, and that's just the kind of proposal I would make to proceed in that direction. A medium is called medium because it sits in the middle between two or more ends and forms the connecting element. Translating the scheme, the idea of the media to the web, would lead to a very simple result. The basic element of the web is the link. And there's always a material basis behind the link. So, if we, if we say that, a, that medium, that the specificity of a medium consists in it being a relation between two sides, the very core element of the internet, namely the link, is a relation of that type. So, we could try to turn the, what was the core of the media theory to, re, to take into regard this element. Um, the que question is whether then materiality actually means. The very architecture of the web shields its physical link within a separate layer. And the material basis gets lost in the hierarchies of the web. One tends to assume that the most important characteristics of the internet is its network shape. That's actually 
internet as a network of networks. Um, but in the first place, the internet is not a network, but a hierarchy of layers connected by protocols and framed by formats. The famous story about the distributed and centralized networks always looks very nice when it's shown, but in fact, the form, but in fact, the form doesn't, the, the, the form of the network doesn't apply in the first place. Hmm? Relaying, relying on the link as the medium, one could sketch a short history of the, of the internet by tracing the layers and types of data they extend to in, a, in an historical framework. Um, which is, and the, the, so to say, the, the operational mode of that historical framework would be one by over, the, of overloading. There is in the, in the object-oriented languages, you have uh, um, um, uh, the idea of overloading, like to say you overload a function in the sense that it refers to different data types. And almost like that kind of overloading, I would say there's a history of overloading which, which, um, which you can trace through the web that overloads the initial material cable-based um, connection between two, between two places, between two computers, by first addresses, then the addresses by text, this is the advent of HTML, uh, then by images and sounds and whatnot, and now we're at the stage of overloading the whole thing with persons called friends. And there's, of course, that result in a, would result in a very technical uh, notion of friendship. Friendship now is a, is, is a, is a technical term, saying, I, sh I share my data with you. There is a data symmetry between the two of us. Mm. The other, and from there, okay, from there you have, there's a, there's a variety of questions about, now I, I leave the written manuscript behind in, 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 in a way. What we have from there is, in the internet, what, what we can observe on a second stage is that we have that we still have in place the McLuhan, the idea of McLuhan, that uh, new media always first incorporate the old media, and then, which is not, which is a bit beyond McLuhan, then they start to become something on their own, and that process is actually is actually what's quite uh, that there's, there's now playing out. So in the internet we have a. We have a variety of what I would call functional monopolies. And the functional monopolies all consist in, so to say, in the movement of taking over an old function into a new technological shape. Like you sell something and you make it, you make it available, Amazon, eBay. Um, the questions attached to that and the questions that, would, that would, should actually be investigated is how, do, how is it possible, what kind of functionalities can we separate? Um, how come that we that for whatever functionality that we have there is a there is a monopoly developing, which I would think is uh, is due to the network effects that say the bigger one the bigger a network is uh, the more it profits the more it profits from everybody joining it and the more whomever wants to join it profits from being a bigger network so there's a tendency in the internet given by that network law there's an inherent tendency towards monopolies um, the monopolies are so to say, separated by functions. Then there's interesting cases that, for the, that come with the, so to say, demise or the breaking, breaking up of those monopolies as it happened in MySpace and so on. But that could be all approached from that, so to say, from a, from a basically basic McLuhan idea and the idea that the link is the medium and comes with certain laws. 
The other big, the other big questions that I that that I would say one could one could formulate uh, towards the internet from that point of view is, of course, and also from a technical, from a very technical, technical determin deterministic point of view is that the Web 2.0 is due to a certain so to say, density of communication and density of back and forth communication. Before it, it, it something like Web 2.0, which means a, 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 so to say, standard, standard procedures of user interaction can only be developed if you have the server-side uh, power, so to say. Um, and from that, you, from that you could ask, okay, what comes next? And this is, then it, it, it turns into a question of how can we actually manage databases? And there's one big thing that is missing in the internet, what we were used to in all other forms of data, so to say, data collection. And it's very strange that it's not that, it's not that obvious because all, all our other traditional forms of data collection, of course, assume that whenever we have an archive of data, there's time involved. Now you go to Google and, and type in whatever search you want to have. There's only one time that Google gives you, which is the time usually it says, uh, in this, this result was delivered in 0.16 milliseconds. But in the archive itself, no time is implemented. Google doesn't tell you and cannot tell you when, the, when a certain entry was made. And one of the assumptions, okay, if one, if one, one would go along that media deterministic idea would be, when can time enter the field again? If there is enough capacities to, it's a, it's a, it's a relation of quantity. As soon as there is enough capacities to actually keep a time image of the web, to relate all data back to where, where they come from. And there are several attempts to now, so to say, reintegrate time into the archive. One has to keep in mind that, and this is very Foucauldian also, that time is not something that comes naturally with an archive. Time is something that needs, that needs to be artificially added to the archive. It's a, it's a very artificial, uh, it's a very artificial mode of, descri of describing an archive. So basically, when following that line of thought, one would ask, okay, will time be coming back to the internet or not, and under what conditions? Just as an example, what 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 a Kitlerian approach to the internet would would what kind of questions it would lead to? Um, well, I'm. Yeah, I myself, I myself was pre was preoccupied with that kind of in my in in, in uh, recent research, doing something. Um, we worked on the on the. It's another 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 way how to approach our the situation that we are in as a political situation. Um, we did some research from Lüneburg in Lüneburg about the use of Twitter as a social media of political communication. In the in the weeks running up to the German elections, mm, and now it turns out that we actually get the funding for to, to continue that research, um, and this is something also one of the one of the, so to say come, going back to the Kitlerian ideas that we should actually of course work with the programmers and 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 getting in that into their discourses now. Uh, of course, we can do, to try to describe the internet with uh, social discourses, like, for example, active network theory or something like that, where the, net, where the network is even mentioned in the name. But um, coming from a Kitlerian perspective, of course, it's the, the network theory of the social scientists is less interesting than the network theory that is actually that actually 
treats the network as something to be calculated. So the network theory of the computer of the, of the computer scientists, and um, the idea with that so, so to say social media political communication now is that you have several layers of um, handling big data, of which the earliest one is simple statistics. The second one would be network analysis, and now coming coming again back to the question of time would be dynamic uh, dynamic network analysis, which would reintroduce the, uh, the question of time to that, uh, to that analysis. Okay, it's again a side, a side line, but it, it basically, I think, shows what you could, what one, where one could arrive if one would take the Kittler's theory, not, of, not as a branch of, as of philological theory, but actually goes to the programmers and works with them. Mm. But then there's, there's some different topics that I would still, this was kind of simple research project that I'm, that I'm involved in in Lüneburg. There's some different, well, some more general topics that I'd like to, like to get back to in, in the end of my talk. Um, there's a general task to think the world in a different way than in the dystopian opposition of humanity and of humans and machine, of the human and the machine. And I remember uh, at the time that I had an interview with Kittler, and I was asking him about what the relation of computers and humans will be and where that will lead to. And he replied that there are two options. Either the computer merges with flesh, silicon merges with flesh, then we will be eaten. Or it doesn't do so, then it will spit us out. But increasingly to me it appears that there's a third option. And the third option would be something like a, how to say, symbiotic coexistence under whatever, turn, under whatever turns that will be. That would mean that we as individuals still operate as if we would use the computer, while the computer treats us as a random input for, for its modeled shadow world, modeled shadow data world. Um, so that we all, we all kind of embedded in, a, in our profiles, that we are living in a world of Bayesian probabilistic. And that world also shapes our environment. So to say that we're facing that, so to say, the, 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 the computer, the, or network-based calculations that run parallel to our lives also brings in a lot of contingency. For example, that we enter some websites and we find something of which the computer knows that we're going to like it, but we, did, we didn't know. Simply drawing from our profile and the integration with other profiles that we, of course, cannot see, but the algorithm sees what is going to be our desire. Or the story, some, that something occurs to us like the story of the pressure cooker. Uh, I'm not sure whether you, were, whether you read that, but it's what was the, the story was that family in the States the mom wanted to buy a pressure cooker, the son was uh, looking for some specific chemical materials, and the father was doing something else suspicious, and two days later there was the um, police squad in front of their house and doing an interview, and they were saying to them, okay, we're doing that 100 times a month, and once, once a month it leads to something. But of course, in all your behavior, you're, you're basically uh, included in systems of observations that uh, 
so to say, lead to actions that you cannot foresee. That leads to a, to a strange contingency that one is one is increasingly um, one has to be increasingly aware. So, regarding our contemporary situation, we face actually questions that are much more important than philological questions or genealogical questions, um, which are first. How do we deal the, with these technological contingent environments and, and events? How do we deal with the fact that there is another entity out there that fabric, fabricates reality? Yeah, basically these are the two questions. Yeah. Which, is, which is also, so to say, a broader philosophical, these are fundamental philosophical questions, not that we are not the only ones anymore to shape our reality, that there's something else. Okay, thank you.